Oh, dear Father, that by the cross and passion of your Son, our Lord, you may bring us with all your saints to the joy of his resurrection. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our epistle and gospel readings on this fifth Sunday of Lent provide two compelling and contrasting images of Jesus. One, we find him in Hebrews lifting loud cries. And two, we find him in John's gospel, himself being lifted up in victory. Lifting loud cries on the one hand, being lifted up on the other in victory. First, from the letter to the Hebrews, we find Jesus praying with loud cries and tears. I find that to be quite striking. Listen to verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. Pause. The actual preposition in the text is not from death, but it's out of death. And so it really should read to the one who was able to save him out of death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. This is not, friends, this is not that momentary, doubting, and fearful prayer of the Garden of Gethsemane. But this is an over the course of his life, open-eyed, resolute prayer. Something along these lines. Lord, I know the shame of the cross is coming. I beg for the joy on the other side. Please, that you as their loving Father may forget their sins. Jeremiah 31, Hebrews 10. And that I, their brother, may stand. I and the children you are giving me. Hebrews 2.13. Happily, when our Lord prayed, Father, if it be your will, let this cup pass. In the garden of Gethsemane, the Father said, no. He said no to the garden of Gethsemane prayer to be delivered from death so that he could say yes to this larger, in the days of his flesh prayer, to be delivered out of death. Here is an amazing portrait of just who it is who came after you and me, broken emotionally, touched in the deepest portion of his being, as a characteristic trait, not just on one night, with all that has marred, all that wounds, and all that disfigures you and me. These loud cries and tears that he offered up over and over and over again in the days of his flesh, knowing 
that the cross means taking your shame and mine, your guilt and mine, becoming your sin and mine, being cursed for your sake and mine. You and me, we move him to tears. It took something that happened to my friend Sam to help take this deeper into my own soul. Sam is 40 now, but when Sam was 10, and you can think of Sam as either Samuel or Samantha because this happens to Samuels and Samanthas. When Sam was 10, Sam experienced over a period of time improper touch from a grown-up whom Sam's family had trusted and who was supposed to be training kids in their church in the Christian faith. Now, it's not important for you to know the details. It's not important for you to know how the story winds up. What's important for you to know is that of late, in the face of hashtag me too and hashtag church too, all these memories came crashing back in on my friend Sam. And Sam wound up in a counselor's office just sobbing, telling the story, remembering the horror. And the turning point, this is what you need to know, the turning point was when Sam looked up, turned over, and was sure that Jesus Christ was right there in the room, right alongside, weeping as well. What's important is that you hear that the healing for Sam began at the point where Sam could see, could see right there alongside Jesus, sharing the shame, sharing the pain, offering up loud groans and tears. There's nothing, friends, nothing that you have gone through, are going through, or ever will go through that does not touch our Savior's heart. There's no sadness that you must bear alone, no crushing grief that does not grieve him too. Hashtag me too, hashtag church too, hashtag Jesus too. One pastoral sidebar, if I may. This is your church. This is your church family. Whether you're a guest today or whether you're a long-timer, this is a place where we want you to feel safe. Where you need not to fear physical or verbal abuse, emotional bullying, unwanted, inappropriate touch, and then to, to, to meld concerns about violence that's going on in our country in general as well. I just want to say, 
you'll note that we have been, we're in the process of upgrading our overall security measures. All of our leaders undergo and have undergone for years safeguarding training for the sake of our children. Your clergy, we've committed ourselves to the Lord, to one another, and to you to be a healing and trustworthy, not a harmful and threatening presence to you. And if you're ever concerned, or if there's a story that you need to tell, please let us know. And may our life together be shaped after the pattern of the one who himself was so deeply touched by our sorrows and griefs. So, first we find Jesus praying with loud cries and tears, and then second, we find him being lifted up himself in victory. Here in John's gospel, we find Jesus anticipating his death up on the cross as a victory. Listen to John 12, verses 31 through 33. Now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Unless we misunderstand what he means by being lifted up, John explains, he said this to indicate the kind of death he was to die. Here, Jesus almost imperiously anticipates his being lifted up into the air. The air being the place in the ancient world in which the demons reside. Because his being lifted up on the cross into the living space of the realm of the devil puts him in position to punch him in the face, or to use more biblical imagery, to bruise the serpent's heel, Genesis 3.15, to bind the strong man, Mark 3.27, to disarm, to make a public display of, to triumph over the evil one's minions, Colossians 2.15, to put him in chains for a thousand years, Revelation 20, and thus to assure his final downfall. It was my friend Scotty Smith who helped me feel this in my heart and not just know it in my head. A number of years ago, I, I felt like I'd been pretty badly treated, and I was, I was, I was pretty grumpy and dejected and pretty tearful about it all. And I, I, I was in Nashville, and I had lunch with my friend Scotty. And the salads had been served. We were sitting across the table from each other. And I was telling my story, and, and I just started sobbing and weeping. And then all of a sudden, from across the table, Scotty leaps across lands in both of the salads, puts his arms around me and says, I'm sorry, I wasn't there for you. 
I'm sorry nobody stood up for you. And in the strength of his embrace, I realized Jesus had been there. I realized in the strength of my friend Scotty's embrace that I really had not been alone in all of it. But Jesus had been standing up for me because he had been lifted up to defeat everything that is evil. I, I don't know where you are these days. I know some in the room are feeling utterly defeated and dejected over something. I know that some of us are in the grips of addictions or obsessions or passions we just don't know how to control. I know that some of us are puzzling through relationships we can't, we can't figure out. Many of us, I know, are despairing of a world of falling bridges, prowling powerful predators, military-style arms in the hands of fools, demented Boko Haram despots, Russian assassins, North Korean punks, Washington clowns. And here's the thing. Evil, for many people in the West, has been secularized, psychologized, politicized. But maybe you're ready to entertain the ancient wisdom that there's more than flesh and blood at play in all of this. That just maybe there are more sinister forces that Paul calls principalities and powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. That perhaps, just perhaps, part of the reason Jesus allowed himself to be lifted up on that cross in the air was to drive out the ruler of this world, to punch the devil, the great divider, in the nose, and to give power to your prayers of how long, O Lord, will you stand for resistance to your kingdom of righteousness and justice and peace. Maybe the model that we've inherited from the West, our secular forebears, isn't big enough for you anymore. And perhaps, just perhaps, this vision of Christ lifted up in victory can strengthen you not just to pray, but may strengthen you in your continued resolve in your day-to-day -day life to resist evil where you find it, to promote righteousness and justice and peace. Perhaps this vision of Christ lifted up in victory can fortify you to face your own addictions and obsessions, to puzzle through that perplexing relationship, knowing that you are covered with a baptismal anointing that dares to claim, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And perhaps this vision of Christ lifted up in victory can fortify those of us who are looking at our bodies going like, what is happening? 
or who maybe are facing cancer that we thought was gone can fortify us to look open-eyed into the face of the decay of our bodies and their eventual demise and say, death, where is your sting? Grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who, through the one who is lifted on high for us, gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. No matter what, because of a Christ who has come near enough and has cared enough to lift up loud cries and who is strong enough to let himself be lifted up in victory, may we confidently ascribe to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we could ask or even think to ask. To him be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church now and forevermore. Amen.